Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Please, as always, be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. And most importantly, when you download the app, share it with your friends. And of course, Joe and I always ask you, if you like what we do, we also have our social media show. You can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe or the Frontline TV on YouTube. Let's get right into it because this is a very important conversation. Today, we're very pleased and honored to be joined by two guests returning to our show. We like to, believe, uh, to, to refer to them as friends of the show because they are both Dan Leroy and Robert Riley. Uh, we are going to discuss what we think is a very important topic because as you all out there know about Joe and I, we like to you know, take down false narratives. And, and, and lies, quite frankly, okay? Uh, whether they be about the church, whether they be about America, whatever the case might be. If it's a lie, it's a lie, and Joe and I want to expose those lies. And today we're going to be debunking, if you will, uh, the 1619 Project. That seems to have a whole bunch of credibility, because I don't know about you guys out there, but the New York Times seems to be pushing it, and heaven knows you have to listen to the New York Times. Well, not so with us at the front line with Joe and Joe, and not so with Bob Riley and Dan Leroy. So we're going to have a great conversation. Uh, in the meantime, though, I do want to give a brief introduction to both these gentlemen. Dan Leroy is an author, journalist, and teacher who's been the director of the writing and publishing department at Lincoln Park Performing Arts Charter School in Midland, PA. Since 2006, he's, uh, write, his writing about music and politics has appeared in the New York Times, uh, Rolling Stone, Newsweek, The Village Voice, Alternative Press, Esquire, and the National Review Online. Robert Riley is the director of the Westminster Institute. In his 25 years of government service, he served as special assistant to the president, and as that's the president of the United States, by the way, um, and as director of the Voice of America, he's also senior advisor for in information strategy to the to the Secretary of Defense, or he was, and taught at National Defense University. He had attended Georgetown and the Claremont Graduate University, and he has published widely on American politics and morals, foreign policy, and classical music. His other books include Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything, Surprised by Beauty, A Listener's Guide to the Recovery of Modern Music, and The Closing of the Muslim Mind, How Intellectual Suicide Created the Modern Islamic Crisis. Gentlemen, Robert Riley and Dan Leroy, welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe and Joe, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So let's jump right into it. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. 
Guys, we'll begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I think before we get into the meat and potatoes of the discussion, Bob, could you just give our listeners a little background as far as what is the 1619 Project? Who authored it? And basically, why is it out there? Uh, there's a lot of, obviously, uh, views on it. Some people think it's spot on in the media. Others do not. Uh, just, a, I think, a brief background would probably help. And then from there, we'll just move forward. Well, the 1619 Project, Project uh, sponsored by the New York Times Magazine is just one of many attacks uh, designed to discredit the American founding and in an attempt to illustrate that its principles were malign from the beginning, even before the beginning, because 1619 is well before 1776. And in this particular angle, they say that the importation of slaves by Dutch traders sold to Virginia planters was the founding of the United States. Uh, Its principles are fundamentally racist. And this uh, is developed particularly in the lead essay by a black American journalist, uh, Hannah Jones, I believe is her name. And despite devastating rebuttals from some establishment historians in Princeton and elsewhere that said this this is a a seriously flawed document that contains gross historical inaccuracies. These were more or less brushed off and the 1619 project, it's or that Hannah Jones, if I'm recollecting her name. Hannah Hannah Nicole Jones, I believe. Hannah Nicole Jones. Jones receives the Pulitzer Prize and the 1619 project with a study guide uh, infiltrates the schools. So we're sure high school students will be taught that their country uh, should be the object of moral obloquy. And it's certainly nothing to be proud of. It's something rather that they should overcome with the aid of such neo-Marxist racist uh, organizations as Black Lives Matter. Well, that's that's exactly, Bob, one of the reasons why we want to do this, because we're going to get into it towards the end of the show. We're going to talk about the end game. See, I think people are too focused on, and again, we do have to hash out everything in the meantime. But then we have to say, well, you mentioned Marxism, and we'll get into that. What is the end game? We'll get into that in a little while. Dale Leroy, let's start. With, uh, let's let's take down, okay, some more of the egregious claims put forth by Ms. Jones, okay? I don't know if that's politically incorrect or not to call her Ms., but for the purpose of this conversation, we'll say Ms. Ms. Jones. So, so the, the, the egregious claim that, that slavery was new to America in 1619. Dale Leroy, what's wrong with that? Well... <laughs> few things wrong with it. Uh, It's a little bit inconvenient to note that uh, according to some historians, they're only off by a couple hundred years uh, in terms of of slavery in North America. 
there are accounts of slaves throughout the the continent, you know, dating back to the beginning of the, the 15th century. Now, that doesn't do a lot for the kind of narrative that is being pushed here, which Mr. Riley uh, just explained very thoroughly. Uh, it's a um, one of those inconvenient things that it happens in bits and pieces, and it's not part of this concerted effort. It doesn't all begin uh, on the stroke of midnight on January 1st, 1619, which would have certainly uh, helped the thesis along, guess, but it's just not so. And there's a, a lot of evidence, in fact, a lot of evidence in a lot of mainstream publications reluctantly had to point out, you know, guys, that's really not uh, the case. And I, I'm sure Mr. Riley could probably add to that. But to my understanding, I wasn't there in 1411, 1619. So I'm, I'm not a firsthand authority, but I have it on pretty good authority that uh, that date is a starting date is just a touch off. Yeah, just 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 a smidge. Uh, you're at the you're at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosinello. We're way in the breach with Dan Leroy and Rob Robert Riley. Bob Riley. We're 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 taking you know in our own way. We're taking apart the 1619 project and the more egregious claims of Hannah Nicole Jones. Remember, you know you you know the, the, what Bob said is so is so. This is the part where we come in. Is that this stuff is going to be pushed in the schools so we have to try to get it out there to maybe these kids parents that maybe you want to say something about that bob i feel you want to say something about that yes uh, as i point out in my book the one you didn't mention america on trial a defense of the founding is that slavery was practiced almost universally across millennia slavery was the rule not the exception and as Dan just pointed out, slavery by Native Americans for centuries, uh, as it was a typical feature of tribal life, if you conquered the other tribe, you either killed or enslaved them. And that indeed is the way Native Amer most Native Americans behaved. But it seems the 1619 Project in a little kind of racist angle only concerns itself with black slaves. And it says nothing about the slaves that Native Americans held, and in fact, continued to hold uh, right through the Civil War. And um, so they don't talk about what is historically unique, and that was the abolition of slavery in the United States and the movement to abolish it, and the fact that the uh, Pennsylvania Commonwealth was the first government in history to abolish slavery. That makes our friend Dan Leroy very, very proud because he's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a Pittsburgh boy right there. So he, he loves that fact. Again, I'm glad, and, and Bob Riley, thank you for that and for pointing out that fact. Let's keep it moving, Joe Racinello. Dan, you, you, you are written books on the American Revolution. How did slavery play into that? I mean, clearly, I, we know, obviously, and you've seen a lot of this with regard to statues coming down. You know, the founders did own slaves. How did that play into it? Um, I, I, what I was told is that this project claims that the, the revolution was started in order to preserve slavery. I question that. But but how did slavery play into the revolution and uh, 
basically, you know, what was the take on the founders on it? Well, in uh, in the last book I wrote, uh, Liberty's Alliance, which does talk about the the Catholic founding of America, one of the things that runs kind of counter to this whole thesis of the 1619 Project, which is that the revolution was fought uh, to preserve slavery. If anyone, if any of the founders had actually had that as a goal, then it pains me to say that the founders in question very likely might have been Catholics because Catholics, many of them were some of the largest uh, slaveholders in the colonies. And in researching this book, there is not a scintilla of evidence that suggests from any of the Catholic founders, not from Charles Carroll of Carrollton, not from any of the Jesuits who were uh, slaveholders. There's nothing that backs up this claim. Um, and again, that's very inconvenient for, for the thesis here, which is, you know, but I should just say, we all understand that the thesis was immediately memory hold. And I would compare the 1619 project and this thesis, which, uh, as Mr. Riley pointed out, won its lead author a Pulitzer Prize. I would compare it to if somebody sold you a car for a million dollars and they sold it to you for a million dollars on the promise that it could fly. And you got the car for a million dollars and then you discovered that the car behaved pretty much like any other car, but it most certainly did not fly. It would be very difficult for you to rationalize that, say, hey, it, okay, it's still a good car. That is to say, I'm sure there are parts of the 1619 Project, and I've read it over. I'm sure there are parts of it that may have some historical value, but the historical value has been completely devalued by the primary thesis, which was immediately debunked. The car can't fly, but it still cost us a million dollars. I don't want a car to cost a million dollars. It only drives down the highway. So you're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, Joe Pasola, Joe Russ, and all. Bob Riley, Dan Leroy were debunking the 1619 Project. So let's, um, Bob Riley, let's uh, fast forward in time a little bit to uh, President Lincoln. So here's yeah. a so, so talk a little bit about that, because, again, we're talking about narratives. Again, cars that fly, but they don't really fly, okay? Abraham Lincoln was a racist, hell-bent on keeping blacks and whites separated. That's not me saying that. That's the 1619 Project. What say you, Bob Riley? Well, I say that I'd like to add a comment to uh, what Dan Leroy just said. Please, please, Bob because if people say Lincoln is a racist, they, they only say that in line with their contention that the founders themselves were racist. And Dan is mentioning he couldn't find a Catholic slaveholder who defended it in principle. That doesn't exist. And here's John Quincy Adams, the son of John Adams, and also a president of the United States, spoke of this very thing he said, quote, never from their lips, he's talking about the Southern slaveholders at the time of the Declaration and the Constitution, never from their lips was heard one syllable of attempt to justify the institution of slavery. They universally considered it as a reproach fastened upon them by the unnatural stepmother country 
And they saw that before the principles of the Declaration of Independence, slavery in common with every other mode of oppression was destined sooner or later to be banished from the earth. So yes, they had slaves as, as we both said, it's, it's existed from time immemorial, but they saw the evil of it and they looked forward to its ultimate ex, extirpation. Now, the other interesting thing is at the time of the Civil War, the Confederate Vice President Alexander Stevens said what was wrong with the American founding and why a Confederate uh, revolution was necessary. Here's the way he characterized the founding era. Quote, the prevailing ideas entertained by him, Jefferson, and most of the leading statesmen at the time of the formation of the old constitution were that the enslavement of the African was in violation of the laws of nature, that it was wrong in principle, socially, morally, and politically. It was an evil they knew not well how to deal with, but the general opinion of the men of the day was that somehow or other in the order of providence, the institution would be evanescent and pass away. Now, uh, Alexander Stevens being the vice president of the Confederate States said the founders ideas were quote, fundamentally wrong because they rested upon the assumption of the equality of their races, unquote. So he understood what uh, Hannah Nicole Jones do doesn't, that that was the character of the American founding. And Lincoln himself uh, pointed out at the time of the Lincoln-Douglas debates that Douglas's statements that the Declaration of Independence and its proclamation of the equality of all men uh, didn't include uh, Black Americans. Lincoln said such a statement was not heard from the time of the founding until three years earlier, that it was an innovation uh, instituted at that time to justify slavery in moral terms, which had never been attempted in the American states before. Thank you for that, Bob Riley. Joe Pasolo and Joe Russinello at the front line with Dan LeRoy and Bob Riley. Uh, Dan, your comments on, uh, on President Lincoln, please. Well, I'd just like to actually follow up on on what Mr. Riley just said because I, there's a a bigger picture thing, and I'd also like to give a quick commercial for his book, which I think is a wonderful book, America on Trial, because something that he said there, I, I think applies not just to this idea that he just expounded upon, but to a lot of, of the discussion today, which is once again, that America is a republic that is founded on flawed principles, that it is founded on these enlightenment principles and therefore it's doomed to fail. I hope I don't mischaracterize anything that is in the book by saying this, but uh, I think Mr. Riley does a great job in this book of showing that you know, the founding of America goes back much, much further than just the Enlightenment. And as he puts it in the book, it goes back to Athens and Jerusalem and Rome and uh, this kind of fundamental misunderstanding that I think a lot of people have today, including some pretty smart people about 
if we could say this very familiar phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And many people have misinterpreted this idea. I think of the pursuit of happiness as that means you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, certainly people as esteemed as former Supreme Court Justice Kennedy uh, misinterpreted that phrase. And I think in Mr. Riley's book, he, he does a great job of showing that no, pursuit of happiness goes back to the, the old ideas of Aristotle and later of Aquinas. Happiness means we're only happy when we're good, and we're only good when we're pursuing knowledge, and we're only, the only kind of knowledge that's worth pursuing is knowledge of the creator, which we can find abundantly in the world around us. And that's maybe too long-winded a commercial. Maybe I'll edit that down to 30 seconds for the, uh, <laughs> for the radio spot. But uh, I think it's a really, really important idea because it goes to the heart of a lot of what we're discussing here. The idea that America is flawed because it comes out of the Enlightenment misses centuries that informed things before. And that has to do with our founders. That has to do with President Lincoln. That has to do with the idea of slavery. It, it, it covers the whole thing. So it's a must read. Well, Dan Leroy, I'm going to hand you. this over to Jim. Dan Leroy, thank you very much for that extended <laughs> commercial. You're he welcome. did the commercial before I had a chance to, Bob. <laughs> but, um, but, but see, but this is why I would emphasize to people, yes, to take a more Catholic view of history. We look at history very soberly, very clearly. We look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? Um, but again, and we'll get, we'll get into this in the next segment, but when you're trying to make yourself a victim, probably for to gain something politically, then you have to make history fit your narrative rather than look at it, looking at history in a very clear and truthful way. Let's keep talking about history. Joe Resinello, I'm going to hand it over to you. I want to switch gears for a second, because I know, Bob, you have a daughter that's a teacher, I believe, in Chicago from other conversations, and I know Dan is a teacher in Pittsburgh. Um, first, Dan, how has this kind of made its way into maybe your classroom? And, and Bob, maybe your daughter has, has spoken to you uh, about it as well, because I, I think like that's something that people, I think, concretely can understand. I mean, we're seeing uh, this woke revolution manifest itself on Main Street. I see it. I have five kids. I mean, I see it in my own neighborhood. I see it in the conversations of regular people. Um, how are you guys like from what you, you know, you're both in, you know, your daughter's in the field and Dan, you're in the field. How, how, how has it made its way into your lives? First, Dan. Um, well, if you mean the 1619 project specifically, uh, it really hasn't, at least in terms of the classroom. But I will say that's not because uh, I'm actively keeping it out and it's the sort of thing that we never discuss. I wouldn't have a problem discussing it if somebody said, hey, I read this thing and I'd like to know what you think about it or could we discuss it? But the idea that the 1619 Project comes in without any of the considerable baggage that it is carrying, that is where we get into the problem. It's a thing. It happened. It won a Pulitzer Prize. It still exists. Uh, we can talk about it, and we can talk about some of the assumptions that undergird it. I think there's a 
classroom time is limited. I think there's a lot of other more valuable things that we could be talking about, but I don't have any problem with it in principle. The problem is when someone says, oh my, the 6019 project, I heard about that. Uh, I think that would be great. Hey, it's Black History Month. Let's take a look at it uncritically and just assume that all the stuff in it is fact. Uh, no, let's well, not. Then Dan, you used you used the word. I'm going to hand it over to Bob for his comments. You used the word I think is the most important thing. Uncritically, when did we stop being able to or unwilling to think about things critically? And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's Catholic history. I don't care if it's American history. I don't care if it, what history it is. When did we stop doing that or be fearful of thinking about things critically, Bob Riley? Yes. Well, uh, Joe, thank you for mentioning my daughter teaching in Chicago. She has left that. Uh, vocation and is now working for aid for women in Chicago, which okay. is a oh, okay. pro-life organization, but it was grade school uh, in a Catholic school. So I never heard her mention it, but in my own neighborhood here in Northern Virginia, when I go for a walk, I, I frequently see Black Lives Matter posters or plaques in my neighbor's yards. And I feel like going up to them and not saying anything, but simply handing them a document saying, I, I, want, I hope you've seen the, the founding declaration of Black Lives Matter. So you're acquainted with the uh, principles that it's espousing, which clearly are, it's a form of racist anti-racism and also of let's say sexual dysfunction uh, because it aims not only at uh, deriding the American founding, but uh, of undermining the American family and, and promoting cisgenderism. Right. So, I, I, yeah. and, I mean, and the stuff, the, the stuff that's in there, and I'm glad you brought that up, Bob Riley. I mean, it's, it's like we're talking about is people just take the title and they don't look, they, they don't bother to read the, you know, what, what, what's underneath it, whether it's the, the manifesto of black lives matter. If somebody said to me, I mean, I'm being serious. If somebody said to me, uh, do you believe in Black Lives Matter? I would say as an idea or as an organization, okay? Yeah. As an idea, Joe Racinello, we're married to, to two women who are sisters and both of whom are, are black, okay? Yeah, Black Lives Matter, okay? I, so I agree with, I agree with the, the, the principle. No, I don't agree with the organization, but I think one of the problems that we experience here um, is that I think a lot of people know that this uh, know a lot of the nuts and bolts about, let's say, the 1619 Project or Black Lives Matter. But I think that we're living in a culture of fear. Nobody wants to lose their job, which can happen. Nobody wants to be removed from academia, which certainly can happen. Okay, um, e even quicker. And I, I, I think that that's what we have to do. Uh, aside from exposing these lies, we have to emphasize to people: please fear not. Fear not. If something is a lie, expose it as a lie. And, 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 and don't be scared, but I think that's what we're living is in an age of, of, of uh, cultural intimidation. Joe Racinello, we could start one more question before the break. I want to juxtapose uh, this 1619 project versus the teachings of Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King's teachings were grounded basically in God. I mean, he wasn't a Catholic thinker, but he revered Catholic thinkers. Um, and frankly, it seems to me that these ideas, I don't know if he would be for them. 
I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But I, it seems to me that this is espousing hatred as opposed to espousing love. And I do think that Martin Luther King wanted equality based upon the idea that God established all men, that they are equal, um, and that they are all children of God. And one should value somebody based upon their their character. And it seems to me that these ideas are looking at someone and making a, a judgment about them, particularly people who are white, and, and judging them before they even know what they're about or who they're about. Dan Leroy, we have a minute or so, or a minute and a half before the break. I want to I want to get your comments on that. And then when we come back from the uh, in the beginning of the next, we'll, we'll hand that over to Bob Riley. I think that's one of the most important things to talk about in this conversation. Well, I would just say I think Joe did a, a great job of, of explaining things. So the only thing that I would really add to that is a lot of times people will say, hey, Martin Luther King in the last year or two of his life, he really underwent a, a big reversal in terms of his views on economics. And he's not the guy that you think he is based on the civil rights movement. And in some cases, that may be the case, but I don't think he ever came away from those principles that Joe was just talking about in terms of judging people by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. I don't see anywhere where he walked that idea back. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, and again, that's that's part of what we're talking about here is is historical revisionism in the case of what you just said, Dan Leroy, uh, as it comes to uh, as pertains to Martin Luther King. Let's take a quick break. Dan Leroy, uh, Bob Riley, joining us in the front line with Joe and Joe. We are debunking the 1619 Project. Stick around. We have another great segment coming up. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, way, way, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network with Dan Leroy and Bob Riley, and we're tearing apart the 1619 Project because it deserves to be torn apart. Now, we ended the last segment we were talking about. This is one of the things. I mean, Joe made a good point, my partner Joe Resinello. And again, liberals and leftists and Marxists, they don't like to hear. Martin Luther King said, I want a time when, when my children uh, are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I think he would be canceled if he said that in the current environment, okay? Bob Riley, everything comes down in this historical revisionism to the color of one's skin. Yeah, let, me add, let me add two things. One is about the letter from Birmingham jail, which Martin Luther King wrote. In that, he quoted Thomas Aquinas and appealed to uh, the foundation principles of the United States. The second item is his march on Washington and his famous I have a dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. His dream was that black Americans would enjoy uh, to the fullest as do other Americans, the freedoms guaranteed by the constitution expressed in the declaration of independence and in the various amendments. He was a profound believer in equality that a man 
as Dan mentioned, should not be judged by the color of his skin. Now, I, for one, cannot watch the I Have a Dream speech on YouTube without tears running down my cheeks. It's one of the most profoundly moving speeches ever given in American political life. Martin Luther, just from those two things, his I Have a Dream March on Washington and his letter from the Birmingham jail uh, would stand as a important figure in American life. No one can read that letter and uh, try to fit it into the 1619 Project or Black Lives Matter because it's inimical to them. But then to, that, the, but then to me, this is a power grab. Like, honestly, because I look again at Martin Luther King as a man who was sincere about everyone should be equal, and they should be. Everyone. No matter what you're about, who you're about, whether you're rich or poor, if you're simple-minded or brilliant, we are equal in the eyes of God. We have one father and he loves us all. This to me sounds like it's a power grab and it makes assumptions, hateful ones. And in sometimes, if you ask me and I'll be kind, it bends the truth to again, acquire power. And that is not what this country is about. That is causing trouble, if you ask me. And I'm interested in both your comments, because that's how I see this. And this is what is, I think, wanting, they want to push this on public schools. I, I don't know how this is possibly going to acquire Martin Luther King's dream. And well, Joe, I actually think he'd speak out against it. Joe, I want to I want to hand that to Dan. And then by saying I think that Joe's spot on. But one of the ways that you, you're able to perpetrate this is because you have help from the media. So tie in, Dan, your comments also with the complicity of, let's say, the New York Times. OK, who, who let's face it, the New York Times still is a weighty. If you say New York Times, people think in their minds they they automatically think, well, that's a credible source. Not so much. We know in the last 10 years or so, um, but tie it in with the, with the fact that they could perpetrate this because they have a help of a willing media. Well, I will. And I would just go back to an earlier comment, which is a willing and pliant media will always be there when you're selling the story of the flying car. The flying car still sells papers, it sells subscriptions, it moves units, it gets you attention, it gets you likes on social media. So it's certainly as good for them as it is for the creators of the 1619 Project. But the second part of that is um, it is uh, a power grab, I would say. And to that, I would just go to, once again, Mr. Riley's book about uh, America on trial. And once again, we go back to this old idea about what, uh, what is our responsibility? Is our responsibility only to ourselves? Is our responsibility to take nature as we find it and accommodate ourselves to nature? Or is our job to take nature and bend it to our own will? And if the, it's the latter, and it has been the latter in a lot of ways since the Enlightenment, well, then you're going to have a power grab every time because it is always 
might makes right rather than right makes might. So if it's a power grab, it's coming from, again, uh, 400 odd years of practice, and we're just seeing maybe the ultimate payoff. <laughs> well, well, we'll see, and we're going to in, in a little bit. Go ahead, Bob Riley, your comments. No, I couldn't agree with Dan Moore on that. Um, well, let's just briefly refer to Marxism-Leninism, uh, which was a power grab, and it was a ray, It was a class theory of history uh, that, in the name of the proletariat, the other classes had to be physically liquidated. That was a power grab. Now, Nazi 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 Germany was a power grab. It was based on a race theory of history and uh, on a Darwinianism that it was a struggle for survival and the superior race needs to liquidate or enslave the lesser races. Now, what does what does what do these new ideologies uh, like Black Lives Matter remind me most of? Well, it's a melange of these two. It has a class element and it has a racial element. Um, which both of these, by the way, explicitly deny the principles of the Declaration of Independence. They explicitly deny that all people are created equal. If you have a race theory of history, inferior races aren't equal. They need to be liquidated. Class theory, no, the, the other classes need to be physically liquidated. Only the United States has held up against these ideologies of hatred, as it has against the Islamist ideology of hatred, which thinks that uh, unbelievers don't have any rights and ought to be, in some cases, liquidated. What was the most effective country uh, standing up against that? Again, it's the United States. We'll continue to do so insofar as we adhere to our founding principle of equality for all people. Now, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and all the associated other movements explicitly reject the principle that all people are created equal. And that's what's fundamentally wrong with it. And it's what makes it a, an ideological power grab, as you both have said. Well, and, and, and again, I, I, there's so much there to unpack, Bob. Dan, I'd love your comments on that, please. Yeah, I'm going to just jump in and, and, you know, one of the problems about talking about these big, broad, overarching movements is that they let the individual off the hook and how these things really gain momentum, how they achieve the kind of currency that they have in our society today is, I think, because of a, a pretty simple principle. Most of these movements deny any kind of objective truth, except, of course, the objective truth that they're peddling. And unfortunately, for the individual, that's a very attractive idea, because I might not want to throw out all objective truth when it comes to uh, liberating the masses or instituting some kind of new society. I might just want to cheat on my wife or abandon my kids. But all of these people who are pushing 
the kinds of agendas that we're talking about are giving the individual cover to do those things because uh, once again, to go back to America on trial, the pursuit of happiness, if the pursuit of happiness means that the individual is sovereign and has no responsibility to anybody else, well, then that's the kind of individual who's going to be easy pickings for the kind of movements that we're talking about. Or at the very least, they're not going to do anything to work against them. They'll say, hey, I don't know, what can you do about these people? Meanwhile, I'm going to go out and do whatever it is I feel like doing, because after all, I'm the most important person in my life. Now, Dan, I, I, I'm so glad you said that. That's why you're on the front line with Joe and Joe, you, Dan LaRoy, and Bob Riley, because that's one of the things we hammer home. Those who think they're free, wake up, look in the mirror, and you know what you got staring back at you? A slave. And you've made yourself into one for the reason that you just said, Dan LaRoy, okay? Because rather than thinking your mind, there's something more important than just you and your immediate pleasure and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, okay? that you've been sold is gonna liberate you. Well, then, like I said, wake up, look in the mirror, and you got a slave staring back at you. And that's the problem. That's the problem, in Joe, in my view, or one of the major problems in America. Um, I wanna make sure we get to a couple of topics. Joe Racinello, I just wanna make sure we get a chance to talk about real systemic racism in America. But in the meantime, I'm gonna hand it over to you. Please, 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 Bob. Just so your listeners know, here is from the Black Lives Matter um, charter statement. Uh, we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here is uh, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors, quote, the first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Myself and Alicia, in particular, are trained organizers. We are trained Marxists. We are super versed on sort of ideological theories, unquote. See, that's what I want everyone in my neighborhood who has a Black Lives Matter sign in their yards. I want them to know this. Here's the president of the Greater New York Black Lives Matter, Hawk Newsom said in a televised interview, quote, if this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it, all right? And I could be speaking figuratively, I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. I just want black liberation and black sovereignty by any means necessary, unquote. Is that a power grab statement? Oh, I think so. Sounds yeah. like it's us. Yes. Like it does. Another thing, too, just real quick, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I, I, sw I swear I think we're all in the wrong business, because if you want if you want to get rich, it seems, and you really want to take a, 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 a truthful look at history, become a Marxist. Castro died a billionaire. He was he was a communist. These guys, Patrice Colors, Joe and I have covered her at the front line with Joe and Joe before. She's got four mansions, man. She went across the country, you know, espousing Marxism and collecting millions and millions of dollars from corporate America. We should get into that racket, boys. I'm telling you, we do better financially. Dan LaRoy, I feel like you want to say something. I do. Just remember, all animals are equal, but some are more equal <laughs> than others. That's right. That goes to Patrice Colors, Joe Racinello. But, in, you know, the thing that I find, like, flabbergasting here is 
Bob is reading from their document. They raised millions of dollars. Very high-end school systems across America are embracing this 1619 project. These are, I mean, dare I say, very intelligent people. Like, they fleeced people across this country for millions, corporate America, wealthy individuals. And recently, Amazon, just to use them as an example, took them off their, uh, what's it called? Um, they have different charities, like approved charities. They removed them, yet you still cannot criticize them. What's uh, the, the thing that was just in the news with that football coach? I believe he made a comment about about Black Lives Matter. Uh, he's a football. I can't believe I can't think of his name. I don't. I don't remember Joe. Uh, Del Rio. Del Rio. He had to okay. march it back. He made a comment about basically some of the things that we're talking about. He had to march it back. You still cannot state the obvious. The emperor has no clothes, and you can't say it. And everyone knows they they don't have any clothes on. Right. Joe, let's let we I want to make sure we get to a couple of topics real quick, because then we got into the Marxist aspect of it. And that I, I, I'm sure Bob Riley and Daniel Roy would agree. That's the end game. The end game is it, it's not a race goal. It's a Marxist goal. Um, and you could comment on that more. But real quick, Joe and I like to point out a lot of things on this show. OK, we like to think that we're we're talking about things that people that are listening to us at the Veritas Catholic Network might not readily hear every day. We hear systemic racism, systemic racism, systemic racism. It's 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 everything in America is racist. To me, the control of the public the public school establishment um, over, let's say, inner city public schools is one of the most egregious examples of systemic racism, because those African American parents, mostly moms, let's be real about it, in the inner city, okay, are given no choice about the where they send their children to school. No vouchers, they don't want to hear it. No school choice, no charter schools. You stay in that decrepit, broken down public school. Joe and I are from Newark, New Jersey. We could tell you about decrepit public schools, okay? And yet those black black Americans, okay, parents, and they're, they're forced to send their kids to those schools that are controlled by white leftists and black leftists, okay? Dan and then Bob. Is that not an example of systemic racism where the government makes sure that the unions and the establishment stay in power and as a direct result are enslaving African-Americans, mostly in blue cities? I mean, I would say sure. And for the last 16 years, I've taught at a charter school that's located in a historically disadvantaged community. It looks like a lot of places all throughout Western Pennsylvania and really throughout the Rust Belt, uh, Crucible St went out in 1983. This town lost its high school in 1986. And then Lincoln Park Performing Arts Charter School came back in 2006 because uh, there was no place for kids here in Midland to go to high school. They had to ship them across state lines to Ohio. Uh, we're lucky that in Pennsylvania, charter law happened pretty early on in the late 90s and we're lucky that we were able to get the school built but even today and really for the last 16 years it's still a fight all the way down with the public schools uh we're taking money we you've heard all of these arguments mm -hmm. uh, they they it's boilerplate by now uh nobody has any right to choose where the kid goes to school uh 
we've disrupted a monopoly and the people who run the monopoly are very unhappy that is being disrupted in part because it forces them to actually do some work. So that is very inconvenient for them. And there's certainly a racial component to this as well, because we know we you know, have to be a genius to understand the kids who are gonna suffer the most as a result of lack of school choice, poor yeah. kids, many of whom are black kids. And certainly uh, any poll you wanna look at, the polls come back the same way. Black families want school choice, and we institutionally uh, continue to work against that thing that people have said loud and clear that they Bob, want for their kids. Bob Riley, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna paint a little picture for you. City of Newark, okay. St. Benedict's Prep, one of the best schools in New Jersey, okay, run by the uh, you know the Benedictines, okay. In the inner and that's in the inner city of Newark. In Newark, in New Jersey, it costs twenty eight thousand dollars to send a child to Central High School, which is a decrepit public high school in the city of Newark. It costs fifteen thousand dollars or so, probably less than that, to send that same child to St. Benedict's, which is down the block. Gra the graduation rate at Central is three out of ten kids uh, graduate. Seven out of ten, ten kids don't. At St. Benedict's Prep, one hundred percent of the kids graduate. Ninety-nine percent go on to college. Okay, can you please tell me? And most of those kids that are affected, I would say nearly all the kids that are affected are black. Okay, and the state of New Jersey refuses to give that mom who's sending that child to Central High School a voucher, saving the taxpayers thirteen thousand dollars and having her send her child to St. Benedict's if she cho chose so chose. Why is that not racist, Bob Riley? Well, the Democratic Party and the teachers unions are and have been in bed together for a long, long time. So the 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 end effect of this is racist, but what it is at its foundation is a power grab. And every power grab aims at a monopoly. And as Dan Leroy just spoke, the charter school movement challenges that monopoly. And what it proves in spades, in New York, in the, some of the poorest Black neighborhoods where the Black American parents are so anxious for their children to get an education, any, anyone else would write these children off as coming from perhaps dysfunctional backgrounds and from such poverty that they couldn't possibly make it. In the charter schools, they excel. In the charter schools, they succeed. They learn Latin. They are put on their feet and on the path to success in, in a country that was designed for the success of people who are willing to learn and work hard. Before a public school system, when we were teaching in one-room schoolhouses, this was a far better educated country. I've seen the tests given at those one-room schoolhouses for the equivalent of eighth grade students, and I would challenge college graduates to be able to get through the test. Now, the charter school movement is, a, is one of the treasures of this country. And we have to fight against the suppression of it so it spreads and helps the most disadvantaged people to get on their feet and give their children a future. And yes, I would suggest there's a racist component in the opposition to it. You're just, listening to the. Just Joe's, I mean, you are going to mention this. We all know about the racism of Margaret Sanger. 
Go ahead, Bob, and we'll last word on that, Dan. Yeah, Go ahead, get into abortion. Yeah, Margaret Sanger and the predecessor organization to Planned Parenthood, a conveniently located uh, geography of the abortion clinics in black neighborhoods, because as Margaret Sanger made clear, the objective was to have fewer black Americans. And we know from the um, racist literature written in the late 19th century and the early 20th century, which Adolf Hitler appealed to and applauded, that was a form of, uh, of racist genealogy uh, spelling out the means for suppressing uh, the inferior uh, Black American race. And, and of course, he was very pleased with what Margaret Sanger was doing and what the racists in this country were espousing. So there, there is a really dark and evil connection between abortion and racism. Let's even break that down even further. Why is it that it's in walking distance? It's, it's well over 50% Planned Parenthood clinics going to minority neighborhoods. And I have heard this, and I was talking to Joe before the show on, sh on channels like MSNBC. They actually defend that as something that's helping the community. Why isn't that in Darien, Connecticut? Why isn't that in Ridgewood, New Jersey? Why isn't that in some of the wealthy, wealthy Virginia towns? Where? Why do you have to go to a poor community to get an abortion? If that does not say something, I don't know what does, yet no one says a word. No one says a word, and they defend it. They defend it. Yeah. And and Joe, just and then I want to kick this over to Dan because we only have a couple minutes left. I'm watching supposedly conservative Fox News. This was a while ago. And I think it was Missouri passed an anti-abortion law. It's a couple of years ago. And one of their commenters said, oh, and let's remember uh, one of their liberal comment commentators. Uh, oh, and let's remember the disparate impact on minority women of these of these anti-choice laws. The disparate impact on the minority women is that black babies are going to be born. Knucklehead. Sorry, Joe, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be uncharitable. <laughs> I said knucklehead. All right, I told Joe I'd stop doing that. But, but my, my larger point, are you You talk about an Orwellian universe, okay, that we're living in, where, where right is wrong and wrong is right. We are the racist, guys. When we say, no, we want more black babies in the world. We don't want baby, little black babies to be killed. OK, we, they've they've twisted it so that if you're anti-abortion in which that's what we are, I don't consider myself pro-life. I am on one level, but I am anti-abortion, I believe, as we all are. OK, but no, I'm not the racist. If you want to kill black babies, I'm going to make the argument that you are. Dan Leroy, probably have a couple minutes left. Your comments. Uh, just to add to that, I think it kind of echoes this discussion we were having about charter schools. And I'll just uh, repeat something that Mr. Riley said. I do think there's a racial component to this for sure. And you guys have uh, very eloquently pointed it out. But bigger picture, this is once again an issue about whether the individual is sovereign and has any other responsibilities to anyone else, or whether we are supposed to take nature as we find it and not reshape it. I, I just think these, these things keep coming back to these issues. And unfortunately, it's a very tough sell in the environment to say 
that you do have responsibilities and obligations. You're not just a complete moral free agent who gets to choose without any encumbrance whatsoever. And uh, that part of making those choices might involve some things that are you know, personally inconvenient for you. We certainly live in a world where inconvenience is in a lot of ways the, the greatest of all possible sins. <laughs> Tell me about it. You sound like Joe Resinello. We have a problem with too much in this country. Um, I'm sorry, because go ahead, Bob. I'm going to give you a quick 30-second no, no, comment. I'll just say, in, in, uh, to compliment what Dan Leroy just said, is, uh, everything we have been talking about is based on the denial of the laws of nature and nature's God. Not only in these terms of these racist anti-racists, but in terms of these schools that are promoting the entire alphabet of disorders and promoting transgenderism to grade school kids. Now, transgenderism itself is based on an ideology that's an explicit denial of the laws of nature and of nature's God. All of this is of a piece with the 1619 project that is overthrowing the equality and the God-given inalienable announced in our nation of independence. Bob Riley, thanks for that. Bob, where could, where could folks find a little bit more about you and buy your books, more importantly? They can just Google me or uh, find the titles of my books that online sellers provide, or they can go to Ignatius Press, where Three of my books are available. Awesome. And I, I was remiss in the introduction. Uh, and thanks, Dan Leroy, for reminding me, uh, America on Trial. That's um, the, uh, the book we would highly recommend, along with Dan Leroy's book on the American founding and Roman Catholics. Dan, uh, the title of that book one more time and where people uh, can find out more about yeah. you and buy your books. Liberty's Lines of Catholic Revolutionaries Who Founded America. Uh you can find it at my website, danleroy.com. You can find it from the publisher, sophiainstitute.com, or you can get it from Amazon. You can help send Jeff Bezos to space. It's your <laughs> choice. <laughs> but we have to leave it there. We want to thank Dan Leroy and Robert Riley for joining us on the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, share it with your friends, Veritas Catholic Radio Network, and please follow Joe and I where you find us on social media, primarily Frontline with Joe and Joe or Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, and do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.